0: Let me encourage you to turn to the second chapter of Ecclesiastes as we continue on with our series in this book. Charlie Shedd wrote uh, a book called The Greening of the Church, and in that book he made a rather uh, shocking statement. He said that the problem is not that the churches are filled with empty pews, but that the pews are filled with empty people. Now, I read you that this morning because I I think as we go into a book like Ecclesiastes, it's, it's very easy to apply that to those people out there to apply what this book is saying to people we know, people that we work with, people at school. That's what he's talking about. Well, it does apply to them. But it applies as well to those who do know God, but who somehow have gotten things out of whack in their life. Who are pursuing things that are not going to ever bring them fulfillment. Even though they possess the answers. As I read this passage today, we, I want you to compare it to what we just sang, the last verse of how deep the Father's love for us I will not boast in anything no gifts no power no wisdom but I will boast in Jesus Christ his death and resurrection I want you to compare those words to the words that I'm going to read to you under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit that were written. We read in Ecclesiastes 2, I said in my heart, come now, I will test you with pleasure. Enjoy yourself, but behold, this also was vanity. I said of laughter, it is mad, and of pleasure, what use is it? I searched my heart, how to cheer my body with wine, my heart still guiding me with wisdom, and how to lay hold on folly till I might see what was good for the children of man to do under heaven during the few days of their life. I made great works. I built houses and planted vineyards for myself. I made myself gardens and parks "...and planted in them all kinds of fruit trees. I made myself pools from which to water the forest of growing trees. I bought male and female slaves and had slaves who were born in my house. I also had great possessions of herds and flocks. More than any who have been before me in Jerusalem, I also gathered for myself silver and gold and the treasure of kings and provinces." I got singers, both men and women, and many concubines, the delight of the children of man. So I became great and surpassed all who were before me in Jerusalem. Also, my wisdom remained with me. And whatever my eyes desired, I did not keep from them. I kept my heart from no pleasure, for my heart found pleasure in all my toil. And this was my reward for all my toil. Then I considered all that my hands had done and the toil I had expended in doing it. And behold, all was vanity and a striving after wind. And there was nothing to be gained under the sun. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's bow together. Lord, we would ask for you to apply your word not to just some people out there but to us where it applies. You saw fit to preserve this passage not just for people a long time ago but for us today. And so, We sit at your feet to hear from you. That is our desire. And we ask for it. In the name of Jesus. Amen. If you listen carefully as I read this, you saw the first thing I want us to to notice in this passage. And before we get into the verses in this section itself, what I want you to notice is the big I. I. It's used 18 times in 11 verses. Now, granted, this is autobiographical. (laughs) So you would expect that he would say, I, I. But I think just even a cursory reading of this shows how over the top, that emphasis upon himself and what he had achieved, and what he was after, how it all pointed back to him, and his conclusion he gives at the very beginning. For all this hedonism, this focus on pleasure, he says in verse 1, I said in my heart, come now, I will test you with pleasure, enjoy yourself, but behold, this also was vanity. So he's about to explain the kinds of things that he pursued, but he gives you in advance his conclusion that that it is vanity. There is an emptiness in what I went after. Now he's about to say, everything I went after I got, but I found nothing. I tried it and I found nothing. So what did he try? Verse 2. I said of laughter, it is mad, and of pleasure, what use is it? He tried pursuing, of all things, laughter. Now, probably as an escape from his life, and we know that this book again and again says there is nothing new under the sun, you know that there is a uh, a -a 24-hour-a-day comedy channel. You can go to it anytime you want to get a laugh. You can go to YouTube and you can stay there forever and you can get laughs from it. He did those kinds of things. He didn't have the comedy channel or YouTube. But he had anything he wanted before him. Now look. I don't have anything against laughter. I like to laugh as much as the next guy. Our our home has always uh, enjoyed a lot of laughter. And and I am convinced that we can enjoy laughter to the glory of God. And I'm also convinced that it's even okay to enjoy laughter to escape for a moment or for a, a short period of time problem is he was looking at that as maybe in this, maybe if I escape into that kind of a world, I can find some meaning for my life. T.M. Moore paraphrased uh, Ecclesiastes, I'll read to you from his paraphrase once in a while. He said, I concluded that laughter and merriment for their own sakes were madness What did they accomplish to help me find lasting meaning and purpose in life? He found it to be empty. He goes on, verse 3. I searched with uh, my heart how to cheer my body with wine. My heart still guiding me with wisdom. How to lay hold on folly till I might see what was good for the children of man to do under heaven during the few days of their life. Now, some of you immediately are going to say, oh, well, okay, so he went out and got drunk. Well, that's easy. Of course, that's, you're not going to find. I'm not so sure that's what he's talking about here. In fact, as I looked into it further, I mean, it, it, that would be the easy route and say, well, of course, going out and getting drunk, that's, you know, anybody that's done that will tell you that you don't find meaning in life from doing that. But I think there's more here. Remember, this was a a wealthy man. He had access to everything. H.C. Leupold, who was an Old Testament scholar, believes that he's, he's talking about getting the finest of wines and appreciating them, making that a real focus. He said, These words refer to a consumption of wine which enables a man to get the highest possible enjoyment by a careful use of it, so that the appetite is sharpened and enjoyment enhanced and the finest bouquets uh, sampled and enjoyed, approximating or falling into drunkenness is plainly not under consideration. Now, that that fits with him as a, a wealthy man that could say, yeah, and he had vineyards uh, and that could say, you bring me the finest of wines and I will appreciate them and so on. And he said, look, I, I had all that and I didn't find meaning in that either. Now, whether it was drunkenness or whether it was an appreciation for fine wines, when that was the end game, when that was what he was seeking after, he said there was nothing there. And then he he uses this phrase that we will will see in other places. He said, uh, during the few days of their life. He's seeing the the brevity of life all too well at this point. You know, he's he's, uh, pursuing everything. He's getting to the end of himself with everything. And he's saying, and not only that, but my life is short. What is the meaning in all this? And down in verse 4, he says, I made great works. I built houses and planted vineyards for myself. Made myself gardens and parks and planted in them all kinds of fruit trees. Made myself pools from which to water the forest of growing trees. Now, if you look back in in 1 Kings, it looks like building was almost a hobby for him. He he had uh, all of the resources that he needed. He was good at it. Uh, he built it. Uh, he spent more than a decade building his own palace. It had gardens, parks, vineyards, other fruit trees. Uh, picture something like the Biltmore House, or if you've been to some uh, mansion overseas, or something like that, or or a castle. Picture that, and then picture that being dwarfed by something even greater and finer and that's that's what solomon built projects so large that only a great and a powerful man would be able to build them now here's the thing they were all for him <laughs> that's what he's talking about these weren't for the public good He wasn't building for his kingdom. He was building for himself. And he would build these magnificent uh, buildings and and get tired of one and go to another. And he had everything that he could imagine that he needed by way of buildings in his private residence. And he said, I still found nothing. I bought, he says in verse 7, male and female slaves. You know, this huge place. He had slaves working for him. I had slaves who were born in my house. I also had great possessions of herds and flocks and more than uh, any who had been before me in Jerusalem. So he had these countless servants. He had all kinds of animals, no doubt using those animals for great banquets and so on for himself, whatever benefit you could get out of them, he had those benefits. And then obviously he had lots of money. Verse eight, I also gathered for myself silver and gold and the treasure of kings and provinces. Now, that silver and gold no doubt came from taxes, from other people, from tributes from other kings it wasn't even his own money a great deal of it and yet he had all that he could use i got singers both men and women and many concubines the delight of the children of man singers and entertainment he says uh, many concubines first kings 11 tells us how many 700 wives and princesses and 300 concubines. Now one of the churches I served was in a rural area and uh, I heard from one of the Sunday school teachers who was teaching this to uh, one of her classes. She came back and said one of the little boys went home and he was so excited to tell his parents this story about uh, you know the 700 wives and 300 concubines, but what he said is he had 700 wives and 300 combines. (laughs) For a little boy, that would have been great, right? A little... (laughs) My response was, he'd have been better off if it had been combines. (laughs) Those were his downfall. Those wives... Concubines drew him from his Lord. What he had was more erotic pleasure than virtually anyone. He was denied nothing ever. Verse 9 So I became great and surpassed all who were before me in Jerusalem. Also, my wisdom remained with me. Solomon had achieved the good life. He had it all. So what? Well, that's the next question. Verse 10, look what he, what he found. Whatever my eyes desired, I did not keep from them. I kept my heart from no pleasure, for my heart found pleasure in all my toil. And this was my reward for all my toil. Now, this is how honest this is. You see, he didn't, he doesn't say, you know what? None none of it was fun. You don't need to try any of this. Look what he says. My heart found pleasure in all of it. He was honest. It was great. I enjoyed it. But that's not the end of the story. Greg Easterbrook in his uh, book, the Progress Paradox, uh, which is subtitled, How Life Gets Better While People Feel Worse, talks about how we have uh, more of almost everything today, except happiness. In fact, we have more, uh, the more we have, he says, the unhappier we are, because we know we will never be able to get all the new things we want, Now, that doesn't mean that if you have possessions, you're all going to be automatically unhappy. But, if you're anything like Connie and I are, you can probably think back to a time when you didn't have as much. This Christmas, we were talking with our kids about uh, some of the Christmases earlier in our ministry. There were Christmases we, we didn't give each other anything and, and where we only made gifts for other people, including our children. That's, that's all we could do. One Christmas I, I uh, bought a, a used bike at a garage sale for a few dollars and I sanded it down and painted it and put some streamers on it and I gave it to our, our oldest son, Nathan, for his Christmas present. But, you know, those days, the, the amount of possessions we had, the amount of money we had, had nothing to do with how happy we were. And that's, that's what Solomon keeps finding. If you've been there, you, you know what I'm talking about. Now, having possessions doesn't automatically make you unhappy, but when that becomes The end game, what you're seeking after, there will be a hollowness there. Listen to his conclusion, verse 11. Then I considered all that my hands had done, and the toil I had expended in doing it. And behold, all was vanity and a striving after wind, and there was nothing to be gained under the sun. The, the Hebrew word translated uh, behold there is it's emphatic. It, it's a word that literally means to face. And so what he's saying is, look, when I, when I faced up and, I, and, and to, to face and to look somebody in the eye, he said, when I really looked at, at these things that I had achieved, these things that I had accumulated, I realized that there was an emptiness there. It was hollow. I thought I went from one thing to another and I thought maybe this thing will make me happy and, and, and then I'd get tired of that and I'd go on to the next and to the next, sometimes mix them all together and I, I had them all. I tried every combination and they were all empty. And he's distressed with that. Behold, all of it was meaningless now i know because i've been on that end of this teaching some of you are thinking i'd still like to give it a try you know one of those i think i could i think i could you know not make it the end game but i'd like to do the enjoyment part and so on This was kindly preserved for us by God, for our benefit. And he he doesn't leave us here, but elsewhere, he talks about a right perspective on even these very things. John Gardner in his book, Self-Renewal, put it this way. If happiness could be found in having material things and in being able to indulge yourself in things that you consider pleasurable, then we in America would be deliriously happy. We'd be telling one another frequently of our unparalleled bliss rather than trading tranquilizer prescriptions. So, what is, as we have done each week, what is the above the sun perspective? We live under the sun, these are the cautions. These are the findings under the sun on this earth. What is God's perspective on this from above the sun, so to speak? Well, I want to caution you of two extremes. The one is the one that that Solomon would caution us of, and that is pursuit of pleasure for its own sake, hedonism. In every area of that, the advertising division is better than the manufacturing division. You get it? It always looks better than the experience really is. Solomon basically says the act itself is great while it's going on, and then there's an emptiness when that's all I've pursued. Now, the other extreme is depriving oneself, thinking that that will protect us from emptiness. That's not the answer either. And we, we see even later in Ecclesiastes, he's saying, look, these are, these are good gifts from God. So how are we to look at this? Well, let's look at them again quickly from another perspective, from above the sun. Think of the, the laughter that he pursued. Where did Jesus begin his ministry, his public ministry? He did it at one of the happiest occasions and that was at a wedding. He was there. His presence blessed that situation. Proverbs 17, says, a joyful heart is good medicine. The, the whole book of Philippians gives us the perspective on joy, and it's written by one who is in prison, saying, look, it's not just about laughter. There is a deep thing that is called joy. And sometimes laughter comes from that, but there's something better than just that surface, that 24-hour channel on TV. You know Our mission statement here, helping people to joyfully, that modifies everything after it, to joyfully know Jesus Christ, joyfully love Him more, and joyfully serve Him better. That's what we are to be rightfully about. Then he talked about pursuing wine. How are we to look at that? Well, Ecclesiastes 9.7 says, Go eat your bread with joy and drink your wine with merry heart, for God has already approved what you do. There's a right perspective. Psalm 104 You cause the grass to grow for the livestock and plants for man to cultivate that he may bring forth food from the earth and wine to gladden the heart of man, oil to make his face shine and bread to strengthen man's heart. Whether it's that or good food, when we receive it as a gift from God, as a gift from him to be enjoyed, it can bring him glory when that is not the end in itself. Then he talks about building. In God's providence, here we are. I couldn't have planned this, wouldn't have had the courage to do it, probably. And yet here we are, talking about building a building, and he gives us this perspective. That he had built these buildings when they were what he was pursuing, there was an emptiness there. Listen to the above the sun perspective. In Nehemiah, at the dedication of the building of the wall of Jerusalem, it says they sought uh, the Levites in all their places to bring them to Jerusalem to celebrate the dedication with gladness, with thanksgiving, with singing, with cymbals harps and lyres, and the sons of the singers gathered together from the districts surrounding Jerusalem and from the villages. There was worship because it was a God-directed thing. It wasn't about them. It wasn't for them. It was to bring glory to God. The the above-the-sun perspective on building is unless the Lord builds the house, those who labor do so in vain. It's empty unless the Lord builds the house. And so that's our desire as well. If it were for our own grandeur or our glory, it's a wrong perspective. If we build, it must be. For the glory of God and to advance His kingdom as we seek to fulfill our mission here in Colombia. And then he talked about silver and gold. It's not evil. God tells us much about that. But the above-the-sun perspective is not just accumulate it and, and use it, use it for your own pleasures. But he says, here's the way to look at it. Jesus said, don't lay up for yourselves treasures on earth. Where moth and rust destroy, where thieves break in and steal. Lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven. Where none of that can happen. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. There your heart will be. In your heart is where we find our meaning in life. And he tells us the right perspective. There is pleasure in using the silver and gold that he has given to us for his glory. <clears throat> and then he talked about physical pleasures. There is a right context for this. Solomon described in Song of Solomon in the context of married love. Way back in the 60s when <coughs> so many were promoting Uh, The kind of thing that Solomon seemed to uh, take on after a while, and that is unrestrained seeking of all kinds of sexual freedom. Time magazine, of all places, (laughs) came to this conclusion. They said, when sex is pursued only for pleasure or only for gain or even only to fill a void in society or in the soul it becomes elusive, impersonal, and ultimately disappointing. Solomon said that more than two millennia before. God's word gives us a right context. I love how Martin Luther put it. Martin Luther, who was a monk for the first part of his life, He enjoyed marriage and appreciated his wife so much. This is the way he put it. If the Lord has given one a wife, one should now hold on to her and enjoy her. If you want to exceed these limits and add to this gift, which you have in the present, you will get grief and sorrow instead of pleasure. He got it. He understood there is a context for this and that too is then a gift from God. God is not some kind of a a cosmic spoil sport where he's wanting to take away all of our pleasures. That's not what Solomon found. What he found was when those things become the idols that I pursue, when I've gotten them, i found out the idols were dead and there was an emptiness. It's about the love of God for us through Jesus Christ. Jesus put it this way. For the Gentiles seek after these things. He was using that as a generic term for godless people. The godless people seek after these things. And your Heavenly Father knows that you need them. But seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness. And all these things will be added to you. The good things in this life, are made good by being related to the one who gave them, the one who created those good things. And that is God himself being related to him in Jesus Christ. Let's bow together.